I want you to take your Bibles, your apps, whatever you may read on, and today we're going to be in the book of 1 John. We're going to continue in that book. And if you're not sure, like, how to find 1 John, you're not sure where to go or how to locate it, let me give you a couple of pointers. If you're in a, a physical Bible, maybe you grabbed one of the Bibles from the pews, uh, if you're not sure how to find 1 John, I would recommend just go to the table of contents. Uh, that's the easiest way. I mean, let's be honest, there are 66 books in this library that we call a Bible. Uh, so finding 1 John can be difficult, but go to the table of contents. 1 John is in the big section called the New Testament. It's towards the end of the New Testament. So look at that list that's in the table of contents. You'll find 1 John towards the end of that list of books of the Bible. So 1 John, we're going to be in chapter 2 today. 1 John chapter 2. Now, I've got a couple of sons. I've been blessed with two amazing kids. I have a 12-year-old named Knox and I have a five-year-old named Declan, and they are awesome. But one of the things that they absolutely love to do, one of their favorite things to do on a regular basis is go for walks because they can take their bikes, and while Jana and I walk uh, our neighborhood, they'll ride their bikes. But with a five-year-old on a bicycle and a 12-year-old on a bicycle, we kind of have different rules for the two of them. The 12-year-old, Knox, you know, he, he's been riding his bicycle for quite a while, and he is pretty good on it, and so he just kind of goes, and he rides in the street and on the sidewalk, and sadly, through people's rocks, but, but that's a whole other issue, but he rides all over the place, but my five-year-old is only allowed on the sidewalk. He's not allowed to drive his, ride his bicycle down a driveway and out into the street. He must stay on the sidewalk. And when we come to an intersection where we're going to cross the street, he has to wait for us and cross the street with us. Now, Knox just goes straight through the intersection. Why would I have a difference in rules for the same situation for my two sons. There's a difference of understanding and maturity between those two kids, right? Declan, my, my five-year-old, he hasn't wrapped his mind around the fact that if he darts out into a street and there's a car coming, coming that car could hit him and hurt him pretty badly. And so for the time being, until he matures a little more and gains more understanding of the dangers, He's not allowed to go out into the street without one of us to guide him and direct him. But Knox, as a 12-year-old, he has grasped some of that. They've got the passage on the screen. <laughs> so, my sons have different rules because they're at different stages in their maturity. They're at different places in their understanding mentally of what's okay and what's not okay, what's safe and what's not safe. Now John, in 1 John, the book that we're in, that's up on the screen behind me, 1 John talks about maturity. 
in Christ. So I want you to take your Bibles or your apps and I want you to turn to chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 12. Now as you're looking for chapter 2 verse 12 of 1 John, as we've done through this entire series, let me give you some quick background. This book was written by John, uh, which is why it's called John. Uh, He was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. And when Jesus died and rose again and then ascended into heaven, we stopped calling them disciples and started calling them apostles. Now John is the last remaining of all of Jesus's apostles. All of the others have died on martyr's death. They have been killed by the government because of their faith in Jesus. Now the government has attempted to kill John, but he survived his execution. Can you imagine that? Oh. And now he's writing and helping churches And followers of Jesus better understand what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so John gives us some instructions here. And let me tell you, if you're reading this out of your Bible, you'll notice that verses 12 through 14 are laid out a little differently than the rest of the book. It's indented differently. And I'll explain that here in just a moment. But let's read verses 12 through 14. He has just spoken about the importance of loving one another. He has driven that point home very strongly in chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Now look at what he says in verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So, This is an interesting passage. Uh, I've had conversations with a couple of you throughout the week and mentioned, made made a passing comment about how complex this passage actually is in the original language that it was written in. So so John lived uh, in the the days directly after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. So 2,000 years ago, he spoke the Greek language. And in the Greek, this is a beautiful, complex poem. It's laid out in a way differently from the rest of the words that John uses in this book of 1 John. But what's the meaning? He talks about children and young men and fathers. And he repeats comments about these three groups. Is he speaking about people of physical age? Is he, is he speaking to young children and then to young people and then to older fathers and mothers? No, most scholars, most Bible study guys, they believe, and I agree with them, John is not talking to people of different ages. He's speaking to people at different stages of their maturity in Christ. He, he addresses the children who are, are, are still in the young stages of their maturity. He, he speaks to the young men, those who are, are growing in their maturity, but they're still maybe in like an adolescent stage. 
And then he speaks to the fathers, those who are strong and seasoned in their faith over a long period of time maybe. He's speaking about maturity in Jesus. And that leads me to today's big idea. I want you to have one main point that you can go home with this week and think on and weigh it against Scripture and make sure, ensure that it is biblically accurate. And today's big idea is this. The main point is that true maturity is only found in one's growing relationship with Jesus. We can talk about intellectual maturity all we want. And we can talk about physical maturity all we want. But when we begin speaking about spiritual maturity, spiritual maturity is only found in one's growing relationship with Jesus. As you grow closer to Jesus, your maturity grows as well. And that's what John is driving here. So let's unpack this. Look with me in verse 12. He says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So, so if you were to read this, if you were one of the people in the church that John directly wrote this letter to and you were hearing these words in the original language, it would be like John saying this. It would be like him saying, your sins have been once and for all forgiven and they will never be brought up before God again. It, it, the, the, the way the, this language is laid out in the original language, it's conveying something that has been done and has lasting effects. We talked about this last week. Jesus died on a cross, right? And when he died on that cross, we use that big word propitiation. In other words, he took all of the punishment of all the sin of all time, every person, and in that moment on the cross, he took all of that punishment and he changed it to all those who would believe in Jesus. He changed it into God's favor, not punishment, but God's favor, his blessing. And so every single one of us who believes in Jesus, we can confidently say, my sins have been once and all for all forgiven and they will never be counted against me. That's what John is saying. The English doesn't quite convey that. But the original hearers of this book would have heard great rejoicing. They would have heard the news that I don't have to worry about my punishment. I don't have to live in guilt and shame any longer because Jesus' love took all that away. That's what that one simple single sentence says. But I want you to notice the last few words of that sentence. I'm writing you to you little children because your sins are forgiven. Why? For his name's sake. He didn't do it for you. He did it out of his love for you and to let his name be known into all the world so that we could lead others, lead every generation also to that life-changing hope that can only be found in Jesus. We're forgiven not for our sake, 
but for his name's sake. It always goes back to him. Remember that song that we just sang before, before I came up here? It's all about him. It's not about us. So my sins, your sins, they are forgiven because of him. They're not forgiven because of anything that we've done. We haven't earned that forgiveness. He has given it to us simply because he loves us. And that's a beautiful thing. Dr. David Allen was a a professor that I studied under during seminary. Uh, And he gives this illustration about this, about how when we receive such a great gift of forgiveness, how our response should be with forgiveness and loving others. And he gives this illustration of a a son whose father has passed away. And when asked if he would like to donate to a charitable cause in his father's name, he says, yes, I would like to do that. And when presented with the options, well, you can give this small amount or this, this large amount or something in between, he makes this statement. I will not just give something. I will not... If I give anything in my father's name, I must give as he would have given. I must give all I can. Jesus, when he died on that cross, he gave all. And when we, as Jesus' followers, are called to give love to others, love to God, sacrifice our time and our resources, it's not, let me give this teensy tiny portion it's let me give all that I can let me give sacrificially let me give in a way that people see the way Jesus gave to me and that's what John is conveying here by saying for his namesake so let's continue on look with me in verse 13 He's now moving to a different group. He says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. So now he's beginning to speak to uh, those who are more mature in their faith. And what does he point out? Does he talk about their obedience? No. He talks about their relationship with the father. He says, You know him who was from the beginning. Speaking of God, you know him. This is relational terminology. You know someone. You have a relationship with someone. You see, our mature following of Jesus will be us knowing him more and more. Again, think about that statement that's on the screen behind me. True maturity is only found in one's growing relationship with Jesus. The fathers here in 1 John 2, the more mature of the people that that John is addressing, they're mature in their faith because of their knowledge, because of their relationship. When we come into a deeper knowledge of the father, we begin to have transformation in our lives. As we know him more, our lives will look more like his. Let's keep reading. Second part of verse 13. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. When we're younger in our faith, 
There's more awareness, I think, sometimes of the spiritual battles that we have to endure. Because we're, we're still fighting at a, a different level. And he makes the comment later, we'll talk about it in just a moment, but, but, but the illustration here with maturity is that when you're younger, you're more able-bodied, aren't you? And you can sit there and think, yeah, when I was in my 20s, my body could do things that I can't do today. You know, in the eyes of many of you in this room, I'm still very young. I'm in my mid-40s. I'm in great physical condition. I'm healthy for the most part. But I'll be honest, I can't do a lot of things that I could do 20 years ago. There is something about that young adulthood and that strength, that physical ability that you have. And John is making this connection between the youth and the physical strength you have and, and that maturity in Christ that as you grow and you're, you're in that, you're going to fight some battles. And you're going to have to be strong. You're going to have to resist some temptations in your life. So he's talking about overcoming. Now, I want you to notice here, we've addressed three different groups, children, fathers, young men. And if you take those and line them up by, you know, logical orders, there is a progression we see here. He's addressing their maturity in Christ. The fathers are those who have progressively grown in their relationship, their intimacy with Jesus. And the young men are the ones who uh, they're fighting and they're, they're, they're fighting the battles. They're, they're not the fathers but they're getting there. And the battles that they fight are one of the things that grows them and matures them. Now, let's go back to 13, the very end. He says, I write to you children because you know the Father. Now, I want you to notice something here. He uses the word children in verses 12 and 13, but in the original language, these are two different words. So the, the word that he uses in verse 12 is like a, a, a relational term, a term of endearment. Oh, my little child. It's like imagining someone getting on their knee to get to the level of the child and, oh, come here, my little child. Like I wouldn't say that. That sounds weird in English. But if I go to my five-year-old and I want him to run to me, I would, Declan, come here. That's the idea behind the word he uses in verse 12. With, I'm writing to you little children. But then, at the end of 13, it's a very generic term that just means a young kid. It's not relational. It's not uh, endearment. It's just, oh, children, kids. Not necessarily a relational connection, but addressing the maturity level. And so, he talks to the children and he's commenting on the spiritual maturity, maybe even the spiritual infancy of some who are in the church because they're young in their faith. Both the father and the child in these verses, though, are said to know God. I want you to notice that for a second. Knowing God bookends this entire poem. How do we begin our relationship with Jesus? We know God. How do we mature and become like mature fathers? We know God. 
And everything in between is tied to those two bookends. We know him. That is the key. Now look at verse 14. He comes back to the fathers again. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Now if you look at the beginning of 13, it is the exact same wording. He literally repeats himself, except he's changed the verb a little bit. The verb has gone from saying, I am writing you, to now I wrote to you, or I write to you, meaning I wrote something to you and I continue to write something to you. But, but in the first half of this poem, it's I am writing, I'm continuing on. We don't really know why he does this, but I did want to point it out. <laughs> You're welcome. Now you can go home and wrestle with this in your private Bible study time. Then he comes back again to the young men. Look with me in the middle of 14. I write to you, young men. Now he's added some things here. Look at what he says. Because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now what is the point here? Obviously, I would, I would point you to the big idea. True maturity, true spiritual maturity is found in one's growing relationship with God, with Jesus. That's where our maturity is founded. But I want you to notice, he doesn't say anything negative here. Be encouraged. It doesn't matter what stage of, of spirituality, growth in Christ you may be at, it's a good place to be. If you're young in your relationship with Jesus, rejoice in that. That's a good thing. If you've been a follower of Jesus for a little while and you're fighting those battles and you're overcoming the evil one, that's a good thing. If you've been a Christian for a long time, and your intimacy with Jesus has deepened, it's grown, you know him at a level that you didn't know him in the early stages of your relationship with Jesus, that's a good thing. John is not criticizing anyone here. He's encouraging. He is saying that at every stage of our walk with Jesus, we can rejoice. We have him. We have Jesus, but we can't talk about maturity and not ask the question, how do we mature in Jesus? We've got to have that conversation. So if true maturity is only found in one's growing relationship with Jesus, then what does maturity in our relationship with Jesus even mean? What does it look like? What does the Bible say about that? Well, I want to give you two passages. You can write these down or you can look them up with me. The first one is 1 Peter chapter 2. So, so Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter also is one of Jesus' apostles. He's kind of one of the primary leaders of the early church. And he wrote a few letters to the churches, giving instruction, helping guide. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he says this. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk 
that by it you may grow into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So this is the first step. Peter addresses those who are, are taking in the pure spiritual milk. Maybe the infants. Like newborn infants is what he says. This is the first step. Put away malice. Put away slander. Put away deceit and hypocrisy and envy. And instead, embrace love. The love as defined by God's word. Not love that just allows anybody to live how they want to live, but a love that helps people, leads people to that life-changing hope of Jesus. So Peter says that we should long after that spiritual milk. And the spiritual milk is putting away all of these things that destroy the anger, the malice, the deceit, the hypocrisy, the envy, the slander. Get rid of all those things. Then in Hebrews chapter 5, we get a little more in depth about that growing maturity. Hebrews 5 verses Verse 12 through chapter 6, verse 3. It says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. This... And we will do for if God permits. Basically, the writer of Hebrews is making the argument that knowing the deep things of God, knowing God in a deeper way is what leads us to greater maturity. So go back to that opening illustration of my two sons riding their bikes. Why is it that I let my 12-year-old go out in the street on his bicycle? Because he better understands the intent of his father's instruction that he received when he was still little to not go out in the street. He understands why that instruction was given. He doesn't just understand the letter of the law, oh, I'm not supposed to go in the street. He understands at a different level, dad wants me to be careful and there are dangers in going out into the street that I need to be aware of. I need to be cognizant of. So as a five-year-old with Declan, I still have a beginning level of teaching him why it's dangerous to go out in the street. But my 12-year-old in his maturity has understood my intent, my desires. When you grow in your relationship with Jesus and your intimacy, your maturity grows in him, you begin to better understand the intents, the heart of God the Father. When you understand the intent, when you understand the heart, when you desire what he desires, 
You're at a new stage of maturity in Christ. Now, I will say this. Do you think my 12-year-old is perfect at looking both ways before he darts out in the street on his bicycle? No. Please hear me. You will not ever achieve perfection in this life. Jesus is perfection. You are not Jesus. I am not Jesus. We will never come to a place in our lives where we are perfect followers of Jesus. We're going to mess up. You're going to fall. You're going to jump out into the street and almost get hit by a car. There are things you're going to do even as a mature follower of Jesus that may not be perfect. But guess what? That's okay. We have this saying with Declan and Knox. It was an accident. And God says accidents are okay. And it's one of Declan's favorite sayings. <laughs> As a five-year-old, if you see him say, it was just an accident. And what does God say about accidents? And he's going to look at you and say, God says it's okay. Guys, sometimes we're going to fall short of God's perfection. Even as strong, mature followers of Jesus, we will fall short. But the beautiful thing is, is when we ask the Father for forgiveness and we turn away from what it was that led us away from him, that caused us to, to not do what he wants us to do, what does the Bible say? He is faithful to forgive us. God is not up in heaven with a lightning bolt waiting for you to mess up so he can strike you down. He's like that loving father who when you mess up, he comes alongside and he picks you up and he wipes the dirt off. He says, okay, what did we learn? Okay, let me help you grow more in my love. That's the intent of John chapter two, that little poem in verses 12 through 14. The message to us today is that God desires that fatherly relationship with you. That loving relationship that guides us and helps us. Even when we fall, even when we make mistakes, even when we directly disobey him, as the loving father, he's still there to love us. Whether we're little children or young men or fathers. We are loved. Join me in prayer.